Good morning. It's wonderful to be back after we had to cancel last month because of the hurricane and Hurricane Matthew named after my son. And um, I'm just so excited today to share one of my favorite Bible characters. And our topic is honor. And honor is letting others know that they are of importance. And the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament is one of my very favorites. So whenever we would I think we spent about a year when the kids were little doing Nehemiah. So we always said that he was Nehemiah. And so the kids thought that that's what his name meant. But Nehemiah's name really means comforter. And Nehemiah was a wise leader and a wonderful role model. He let others know that he valued them, treating them with respect. And it gives our family some wonderful things that we can do within our own lives. The Bible is a storybook. And we need a fast rundown to set the stage to see what role Nehemiah plays in telling God's story. The first book of the Bible is Genesis, which tells about the six days of creation. Along come Adam and Eve and the first two babies, Cain and Abel. Then the story of the patriarchs unfolds. The fathers of the nation Israel that God appointed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Time goes by and Israel rebels. They do not worship God whatsoever. Israel goes into captivity, and Joseph, who is Jacob's 11th son, ends up rescuing the Israelites. He dies, and then Israel is ruled by a set of judges. Well, then the people of Israel want a king like every other country has. So God says, okay, I'm going to give them kings. So first he gave them King Saul, then King David, and then King Solomon, David's son, and then a succession of kings that literally led them back into idolatry again. Well, Babylon comes in and takes Israel into captivity, takes them off to Persia, and then Persia is defeated, and King Cyrus drafts a proclamation allowing some of the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem. That we are, I mean, this is just a fast rundown. There are many stories along this whole route. Zerubbabel and Ezra led the first two migrations back into Israel. Now, we're sticking to bare bones here. This temple was rebuilt, but the city itself was in ruins. Now we get to Nehemiah. He was in Israel, in exile, in Persia. He was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah's name means comforter. Nehemiah tasted every food or drink before the king tasted it. He held a place of honor sitting right next to the king's throne. And I'm sure, in my opinion, that they had a pretty close relationship. Nehemiah heard everything that was said around that throne. And it makes me think they were probably not just close friends, but they were confidants of each other. One day, Nehemiah's brother comes to visit, and he tells him that Jerusalem's walls are broken, the gates burned, and the people are in disarray. Nehemiah listened to his brother, and he was so upset, he wept. He fasted and he prayed, seeking God's direction. What do I do? How can I help? 
Well, Nehemiah had never been sad in the king's presence before. So Artaxerxes looks over at Nehemiah and says, Why are you so sad apart? So Nehemiah does an Arab prayer, short, simplistic Arab prayer, straight to God, asking him, Give me wisdom on what I need to say to the king. Nehemiah shares the sad story of Jerusalem with Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah permission to go back to Jerusalem. But he also provides an armed Garvey, armed Garvey, an armed, a guarded army. Gosh, I can use two words in there. Ah, uh, a guard army. He sent him with supplies for building, and he also sent a lot of food for the whole town of Jerusalem because the city was undergoing a famine. Already we see Nehemiah display compassion, humility, prayerfulness. He was alert, and he was bold, asking to leave the king and travel the 900-mile distance to Jerusalem. Nehemiah arrives, and he finds the city in dire straits. He waited till nightfall, and then he walked the city alone. And then he devised a plan for rebuilding. He was organized. And he kept silent counsel. Listen to all these things he did that we can do in our family. He kept silent counsel until he had all the facts. And then he gained the trust of the people the way he dealt with three different types of adversity. He had external opposition. Jerusalem was in shambles and they were being plundered. They were being raided. He had internal opposition. The people of Jerusalem were very discouraged, and he had personal opposition. Once the plan of the building was into effect and success was in the making, four men, friends of Nehemiah, mocked, ridiculed him, and started spreading lies. Nehemiah looked at the obstacles as opportunities to serve God with honor. He realized that if he argued, he would lose his testimony for God. So he devised a savvy plan with half the people rebuilding and half the people standing there armed to protect them. Nehemiah had a vision and he shared with enthusiasm. He built alongside his fellow countrymen. When the people got tired, he prayed, Lord, strengthen our hands. Use that verse with your children. Nehemiah was confident, but he was never prideful. He led with honor, not letting discouragement rule his life. Nehemiah reminded the families, God is an awesome God, and he will fight for us. Use that verse with your families. Nehemiah was steadfast, and he stuck to the plan. The walls of Jerusalem had been in shambles for a 100 years. And I love this part. It gives me cold chills every time. Nehemiah and his loyal band of people rebuilt the whole walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. And then 50,000 people rededicated themselves to the Lord. The people began to weep. And Nehemiah said, no more weeping. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Use that verse with your families. Nehemiah was a success because he honored God first. With Jerusalem's restoration, temple services resumed, and Nehemiah planned a huge dedication ceremony. Imagine this. The walls of Jerusalem are 2.5 miles 
in circumference. They're 8 to 10 feet wide at the top, so people can walk on them. Chariots could go on them. And they're 40 feet in height. And then there were two choirs. One went to the left from the temple, and one went to the right, and they met in the middle singing. And the Bible tells us that the sound could be heard for many, many miles. In the last chapter of Nehemiah, we learn that he was a governor of Israel for 12 years, and then he returns to serve King Artaxerxes. Israel backslides, and Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem. He is a leader to the very end, and his book closes the same way that it ends. He began in prayer, and he ends in prayer. When he says, remember me, O Lord, with favor. Remember me, O Lord, with favor. How about remember our families, O Lord, in favor. To be a wise leader, we literally have to get up and emulate Nehemiah. Nehemiah honored God first. He rebuilt the walls. He overcame obstacles. He protected the people. He ignored criticism. He was a leader. And he approached the project with a prayer and a plan. And that's how we have to to face our families, is our families are a project, and we have to face them with prayer and a plan. But where do we start? Well, there are six ways that Nehemiah gives us that we can use on our families to personify honor. The first one is pray. As I said just a few minutes ago, the book of Nehemiah starts with an intro on who he is, a visit with his brother, weeping, prayer on his knees. He sends an arrow prayer to God. An arrow prayer is short and simple, very fast. But the family lesson here is no problem is too small for prayer. Anytime, anywhere. The second one is be alert and respond to God's little nudges with enthusiasm. (laughs) Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He devises the plan. He allows no outside interferences to change his decision-making. And we as a family, once we make a rule, let's not change midstream. Stick to your guns. Be consistent. His plan included all of the families. No one was excluded. No task was too small. Nehemiah coordinated the effort so all the families could be together and work alongside each other. He repeatedly told the people God was with them. He taught them that reality rests in wisdom, and they were to let go and to let God work through them. The family lesson here is encourage each other, build each other up, refrain from arguments and criticism, Each family member has a role, and we work together as a family to complete the job. Self-esteem is built as we overcome challenges. The third thing that Nehemiah teaches us as families to display honor is to stand strong in the face of adversity. Nehemiah faced heavy opposition of mockery and lies from his fellow men. They were supposed friends. You would think they were Israelites there living in the city who wouldn't want the town of Jerusalem to be protected and to have supplies brought in. But you know, people are often critical and judgmental, having the giant of jealousy residing within, and we don't always know what's going on in their life. But the family lesson for standing firm is threefold. Look at obstacles as opportunities to grow closer to the Lord as a family. Never let 
false accusations divert you from achievements. And the third one is to stand silent under attack, pray, learn from the problem, and then do a Fido. Forget it and drive on. The fourth thing that Nehemiah teaches us is to have a plan, stick to it, and revise when needed. As Nehemiah faced the sabotage, his wisdom led the people to half work on the wall, half to guard. He focused leading by example. He was consistent with his plan, and he was very wise. He held the people accountable. How we have to be consistent in our families, wise, hold ourselves and our children accountable. And the family lesson here is all families need a plan. It is wise to make family rules before you need them. Choose consequences before you need them and then post them. Because our goal as parents, we want to be calm, we want to be accountable, and we definitely have to be consistent. Trust me, you might be in a smooth spot right now with your kids, but with all kids, tempers and tantrums and tall tales are going to evolve, and soon the arguing and the loud voices are going to begin. We as parents can lose it if we do not have a plan. When we have a written and posted plan, we hold our own selves accountable. We want to build our family walls and protect our children. We do not want to set our children up for failure. So moms, toss angst away, make a plan today, and set those consequences. We can't presupposition God. I've done it so many times. It's not a daily thing, thank you, Lord. But presupposition is getting yourself in a condition and then asking God to get you out of it. So we don't want to do that. The fifth thing that Nehemiah teaches us is to be humble and work with the serpent heart. Nehemiah knew the people. He worked alongside them. He knew their children. He knew their desires. He knew what to do to make them smile. And the people of Jerusalem saw Nehemiah as a leader and a friend. Nehemiah knew that unity was so important for success, and his humble devotion spurred loyalty. And the family lesson here, faith and friendship matter because the next generation is watching. I think number six, the thing that Nehemiah teaches us, is my personal favorite because it's something that we look forward to as a family and it's something my kids still talk about. And now I see Matt and Tara doing it with Leighton and with Little Knox. And that is family devotions are a priority. Nehemiah encouraged the people, telling them God was for them and he was the source of their strength. Nehemiah planned the temple dedication, just like we have to plan and sit down and do devotion. He begins in prayer. He ends in prayer. We can do likewise with our family. Nehemiah's constant contact with God made him wise and courageous. Nehemiah did not let the busyness of the day get in the way of spending a few moments alone with God. Nehemiah portrays over 50 characteristics, and about 30 of those are leadership characteristics in the book of Nehemiah. He was successful despite incredible odds, teaching us there is no reward without hard work. Did you get that? There's no reward without hard work. 
No opportunity without obstacles and no true leadership without placing our full trust in God. And as a mom and dad, we are the leaders in our family, if we like it or not. (laughs) The family lesson is devotions do matter. Consistent family devotions and prayer create a bond and provide direction in today's troubled world. Devotions develop family unity. Devotions assure our children they are loved, but Jesus loves them more. Devotions develop perseverance and strength to face adversity from the playground to the locker room to college and to their own families. Devos provide role models for our children when the going gets tough, and it will, especially in the teen years. And devotions provide family time. Family time is not just a suggestion. It's a mandate from the Bible. And last year's theme was Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. Go back and read it. Read that mandate that the Lord gave you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and talk about him. As you walk, we don't walk anymore where we go, but we drive. Turn off the radio, pray, talk about the Lord. As I look back on my children growing up, I would do some things differently. I was not a perfect mom, and I learned from my mistakes. After I had a pity party, and then I finally prayed. (laughs) Jesus always picked me up and dusted me off, and he sort of shook me by the shoulders, and he said, you are a mom for life. You cannot quit. Try something new. And keep on keeping on until you find something that works. And stick to it. Be consistent, Vicki. Be consistent. I am beside you every step of the way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's a promise you can cling to from the Lord. I am thankful for the things I did right. And one of those goes along with family, doing the family do- uh, devotions. We read a chapter in a book. Sometimes I'd fall asleep in the middle of the book, but that's okay. The kids would wake me up, and we would finish reading you know, the book or the chapter. And we had the devotions, and we prayed. But from toddler to teen, I desired for my children that my hand and a piece of scripture would be the last thing that they would remember every night before they went to bed. Some nights I was so tired, I was so exhausted, and I did not like my children. And I did not want to say, I love you. But I did it. I made myself do it every night that they were under our roof. And I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that I did. Because friends told me that your kids go so fast to college and they're gone and you don't have them there. And I knew that that was going to happen. I knew I was never to let the sun go down on my anger or on my anxiety or on my aggravation or on my exhausted state of being. May you too extend a gentle touch and a tidbit from the Word of God as you tuck your children into bed. Be a mom of honor, letting your children know that you value them so much, even when you don't particularly like the things that they are doing.
because moms, you know that whenever you water and you wait, you will always see, always see.